Thank you so much, Jono. They can still hear me while I'm while the slides up. Thank you so much, Jono. Thank you so much, everybody. It is a privilege and an honour to once again come into your homes and to share and fellowship with you this morning. Um, just a special shout out to a couple of young viewers who are looking at it right now. Um, I'd just like to say a special hello, a little shout out to Nola. Hello, Latina, and Vito, my little nephew and nieces that live down in Campbelltown. Um, we really miss you guys. We're really looking forward to when you guys can come visit us again, um, just so we can catch up, look after you. We saw some photos that your mum sent us, and you're so big now. You're here so long. It's, it just seems like so much time has passed since we've seen you. So we're praying that we'll be able to get together again and come down and see you guys this Friday. We'll actually get you guys to come visit us and stay with us as well. Uh, on Friday, so uh, don't remember, don't don't forget us. We like to be remembered as well. We love you heaps, and we're looking forward to seeing you guys again. Um, thank you very much, Church. I just want to say that hello um, once again. It's another blessing to be here, and it's been really encouraging because we are, in all honesty, we are a forgetful people. Even with the changes that have taken place within our community now, and everybody is restricted, everyone is isolated, everyone is kept within their homes. It's really fascinating how we forget a lot of the things that we were actually entitled, not even entitled, it's a wrong word, a lot of the things that we were able to do in the past, and it's sort of reminiscence of us as people that we are a forgetful people. Um, speaking of which, for us to remember, even last week, the word of God that Jonathan shared with us about the Good Samaritan, about the outlandish love toward a stranger that is an enemy. It was demonstrated in that parable that Jono shared and was wonderfully acted out by some of our actors last week as well. But it is a picture that is connected with us as well as being the man that was assaulted. The man who was beaten, who was beaten and left to die. And that is a picture of us, that we are beaten by our lusts, we are stripped by our selfishness and left to die in our sin. But, but Jesus Christ steps in. Jesus Christ outlandishly loved us. And we read this in Romans 5.8, that he commanded his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A truth that is so significant because the one who dies for us, the one who expresses such an outlandish love to us who are so undeserving, if you remember two weeks ago, is he who is the image of the invisible God, the, the firstborn over all creation from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And that's something that I want us to visit again as we continue our study in the book of Colossians. Remember the portrayal of who Jesus Christ is, the transcendent one, the preeminent one, the supreme creator by whom all things exist and by whom all things are sustained. And we read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, that all things were created by him and for him. He is the one who outlandishly loved us. Not because we are deserving of such love, but merely because he is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. It is important that we start here because in Colossians chapter 1, with that portrayal of Jesus Christ from verse 15 down to verse 23, 
Everything before that passage is celebration, not because of who the church is, but because of who Jesus Christ is. Everything following that portrayal from verse 24 to the end of the chapter, that are things that we experience. Once again, though, we can only endure those things not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus Christ is. And it is important for us to start here. Because everything that precedes this wonderful portrayal, everything that follows this wonderful portrayal can only be lived out and accomplished once that foundation of Jesus Christ's sovereignty, Jesus Christ's majesty is understood and submitted to. So this morning, we're going to look at the first part of chapter 1 of Colossians. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. It is the Apostle Paul commending encouraging, complimenting, and exhorting the Colossian church for their faith, for their hope, for their love, and for their standing in the gospel. Or in the words of R. Kent Hughes, he said, it is a passage of celebration. Celebration of the Lord Jesus. Celebration of the good news of the Lord Jesus. A celebration of the church. A celebration of the working of God in and through his people. But as previously mentioned, it is a celebration not because we are great. It is a celebration because he is great. So let me open in a word of prayer, and we're going to look at three things this morning about the celebration we get to partake of because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we remembered in communion just moments ago, he who loved us and gave himself for us that we might have life and the death that he gave. Father, that we will have eternal life because he rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. We ask this morning as we look at your word, you will help us to see you above all else. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to respond to your spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here's my first point. A celebration of love lived out. That's the first point. A celebration of love lived out. That's in verses 3 to the first part of verse 6. I'll read it in a little moment. But it is, it is easy to love the lovable. It is easy to talk a big game. It is easy to speak about the right thing to do. But talking... And speaking and, 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 and loving the lovable doesn't necessarily or isn't necessarily worked out in reality. And there is a friend of mine named Mark Stevens. He's a very intelligent man who wrote an article in the Sydney Morning Herald, I believe. And it was entitled, How Can We Go From the Generosity of the Bushfires to This? And then there was a picture of people hoarding toilet paper people hoarding food. It was, it was emphasizing the fact of how we can go from one extreme to the other. And you read on social media the soapboxes upon which people stand and proclaim words of, we're all in this together. We can overcome this. We can support each other. And yet the reality that is demonstrated out in the public by some is looking out for number one. 
Now, while the church at Colossae were not experiencing a lack of toilet paper or the shock of panic hoarding, the Colossian society had issues of their own, and the church in Colossae had to shine out as a light within this society. And this is the celebration Paul expresses his thanks for them and refers to the fact that they were not a people of talk, nor were they Christians of theory, but rather a people living out the love of Christ. In verse 3 of Colossians chapter 1, and we'll read that now, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because, verse 4 begins, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. There are two main distinctions that I like about this passage. One is that the Colossian church, they were a people of faith. Not a blind faith, not an unreasonable faith, not an irrational faith, but rather a faith that was real and demonstrated. A faith based on knowledge, a faith based on truth, a faith grounded in and standing upon the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You see, my faith is only effective if the object of my faith is steadfast. I can have great faith, yes. But if my great faith is in something that will falter or break, the amount of my faith is completely irrelevant to the result that will happen. If I asked John to stand here with a large piece of newspaper and I had great faith that when I jump that the newspaper would catch me, it doesn't matter how much I believe that the newspaper will catch me, I'm pretty sure that my 120 kilo frame, well actually it's, it's 115 kilos now, I, just, I thought I'd let you know that one. My 115 kilo frame would fall straight through that piece of paper doesn't matter how much I believe or how much faith I put in that. Why? Because it's weak. The object of my faith is weak. But if I have a very small amount of faith of faith in something very, very big, well then it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter how much I believe because the object of my faith is steadfast and sound. Therefore, it makes my faith legitimate. Because my faith is large. If Jono then took that same piece of paper and placed it on the floor in front of me, and then I jumped on it, well, my faith isn't in the paper. My faith is knowing that the floor would hold my weight. Dave Hunt, and I've quoted this before, Dave Hunt was a man who, when approached by a, an elderly woman at church, said to him, you are a man of great faith, to which he responded, no ma'am, I am a man, a man of very little faith, but it is in a great God. See, the legitimacy of one's faith is manifest, is manifest in what is done when your faith is in something worthwhile. Or more importantly, more accurately, when your faith is in someone reliable, someone worthwhile. 
This is why when you read in James, James's argument about faith and works in James chapter 2, verse 18, he says, You show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. It is expressed in what is done, what you believe, what you really believe, what you really trust, who you really believe Jesus Christ is, is demonstrated in what you do and how you respond of where your faith lies. And, and this is what we see in the Colossian church. These were Christians. These were a church that were doers of God's word, not just talkers, which means then in the current circumstances that we're encountering now with us, not being unreasonable, not being un- irrational, where does our faith lie and how is our faith demonstrated to those around us? So the Colossian people were a people of faith. The second thing, the Colossian people, the Colossian church, were a people of love. I know I have shared this numerous times, but it is a reality that is revealed within Scripture, within life, and within relationships, and that is the reality of love, true love, agape love, sacrificial love, benevolent love must be expressed. It must be expressed. It must be lived out, expressed in word and expressed in deed. 1 John chapter 3 Verse 18 in the NIV says, Let us not love in words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And the only reason we can love this way is because we have been loved this way by Jesus. The scripture teaches quite clearly we love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19, and this is what makes this passage worth celebrating because it is a living out of the true gospel that transformed their lives. It is the living out of the example manifest in Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? What is the good news? It is the message of Jesus Christ who saw us in our spiritual poverty. It is the message of how a holy God saw us spiritually destitute and separated from himself. And while we are condemned and deserving of judgment and death, he reached out. Titus 3.15, he came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, that through faith in him, through believing that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised again on the third day according to the scriptures, that, that when, we, when we have this as our hope, when we have this in which our faith is bound, we see it demonstrated this is God expressing love in the giving of his son. When one knows and believes the good news, when one knows and believes the gospel, then one is instilled with hope. Not the type of Hope that is wishful thinking, not the type of hope that is, oh, I, I hope he calls, oh, I hope he gets that job. It's not that sort of hope, but it's the hope of an assured confidence that what one receives through faith, because uh, one, one receive, sorry, that one will receive through faith 
because that faith is in someone trustworthy who is Jesus Christ. This is why love lived out is such a big deal because love lived out is looking at the needs of others over your own needs, just as Jesus was to us. Love lived out means keeping the commandments of God over what you want. I mean, if you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said in John 14. Because the commands of God are liberating, not burdensome. 1 John 5.3 Love lived out means being kind. Love lived out means being tender-hearted. Love lived out means being forgiving of one another, even as God, in Christ, for Christ's sake, had forgiven us. In Ephesians 4.32 The only way we can celebrate a life lived out is if we celebrate the love of Jesus Christ toward us in the gospel. Which means that you and I need to have an understanding of what the gospel is. Because this theme continues, the same biblical theme and idea continues in the second point. Because we have a celebration of love lived out, yes, but we also have in the second point a celebration of grace practically demonstrated from verses 6 to 9. And this is what we read. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, and truly understood God's grace. Verse 7, You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Verse 6 starts off with three really cool words, four really cool words, sorry. In the same way. In the same way love has been demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ. In the same way the gospel has been not only revealed to you, but impacted you in the transformation of your lives. In the same way that you have been given a new heart, been made a new creation, obtained a new citizenship. In that same way the gospel has worked in your lives, the gospel is going forth into all the world through word and deed, changing people's hearts taking out their hearts of stone and putting within them hearts of flesh through the good news of Jesus Christ. People having their minds renewed by the word of God. People having desires changed, having the right perception of the world, having hope in this life because what we have awaiting for us is an everlasting life to come. And lastly, having their names written in the book of life, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and granted the privilege to be called the sons and daughters of God. That is the fruit of the gospel. The fruit of the gospel, the hope of the gospel, the confidence of the gospel, the assurance that in this life, as temporary as it may be, we are assured of an eternal life to come. That is why Paul refers to the fact that this reality has been occurring within them since the day they heard the gospel and truly understood God's grace. Truly understood God's grace. God's grace is all about bestowing of that which cannot be earned, paid for, or taken. 
Grace is the giving of an undeserved kindness. And the gospel is where I find the greatest expression of that kindness. Once again, through the example of the Lord Jesus that was referred to in the first point, but secondly, in the person of Epaphras. Epaphras was a man who planted this church at Colossae, and, and, and it was for the love of God, the love of God's people, the love of the lost, that he devoted himself to living out that gospel. Um, you read it later on when Paul acknowledges him as a dear fellow servant and a follower or sorry, a faithful minister of Jesus Christ. He was a proclaimer of the Spirit at work. In in chapter 4, verse 12, he was a man of prayer for them and for their maturing. In verse 12 of chapter 4, he says, Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you might stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Grace practically demonstrated in his service to the church, and grace practically demonstrated in his prayer for the church. But a person can only arrive at such a selfless view of one's life when one views their life in connection with the gospel. We can only arrive at a selfless view of our lives too when we view our lives in connection with the gospel as well. I read in the gospels about how Jesus served others. I read in the Gospels how he fed 5,000, how he healed sick, how he forgave sin. Um, I read in the Gospels how Jesus accepted others. Uh, I read in the Gospel how Jesus viewed others, evident by the people he called to follow him, as well as calling out the hypocrites of institutionalized religion. Now, I was looking at this, and I'm thinking... The example set for us for the likes of Jesus Christ, through the likes of Epaphras, people question often, why do Christians do what they do? Why do people put themselves in danger who name the name of Christ? Now, granted, there are people throughout history and even some people today who name the name of Christ but do things for selfish gain. There are people who manipulate the, the system, who abuse and, and, and milk their positions of power and authority within a religious setting to give themselves positions of wealth and positions of financial gain. But there are many, many, many more people who for the love of God and for the love of people would, would go out merely to show that love for the benefit of people. There is a brother I've been asked to pray for by the name of Antonio. He lives in Italy and he is going in the front lines now to the field hospitals and praying for people who are suffering from the coronavirus. People have asked him, why? Why are you doing this? He said, because people need to know Jesus Christ. On our serve page in the kids' website, kidsonline.com, or gracekidsonline.com, check it out. Uh, Elise, Elise Long, who is a friend of ours from Bible College, she has gone to the Philippines. And in the Philippines, she's reaching out to a tribe, not only giving them medical supplies and, and equipment and tools, but also sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ so their eternal security is taken care of as well. Why would, why would someone do that? Because of a love for God and a love for people. 
Kiichi Kitahara, who we support in Japan, who goes into universities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the Navigators Ministry. Uh, Didi and Mimi, who's involved in translation. Uh, Pastor Chin Ake, Martin Fong, involved in universities. All people that could have been financially stable and secure, in, and they passed on that chapter of life to have another chapter written for them. Why would they do that? Because they were recipients of grace. A grace demonstrated to them through the Lord Jesus Christ. And a grace they want to willingly bestow upon others. They were born again through trusting in Jesus who rose from the dead. And as a follower of Jesus chose to celebrate that love that was bestowed upon them by sharing it with others. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Thus, we are able to celebrate a genuine love lived out and to celebrate practical grace demonstrated because that's what the call has been placed on our lives. And this last point says this, that is a celebration of what we have. A celebration of what we have. I'm going to read from verse 9 to verse 14. Verse 9, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't it funny when you look at the lives of others and when you see what they have, it is easy for us to become envious at the apparent ease within which they move through life. You have those people, whatever they touch, it turns to gold. I remember when I was at Bible college when people would testify of God's provision and have their entire college tuition paid for through a brother or a sister. I remember one of my friends, Brian Leslie, who was there and, and a sister had just had their tuition paid for with a great monetary gift that she got from her home church. And Brian looked at me and said, you know, Joe... I think we're one of those guys that are blessed to have work. And we said, yeah, it was. It was a blessing. We had to work every holiday and to help pay off our tuition and other things. But I thought, yeah, that's, that is. So sometimes we can look at others and be envious of that, and especially when you hear testimonies of other people who have heard a calling in their life and knew exactly where they were going, where God was leading them to, and you think, wow, what? why is it that they have that and I don't? And so often we as people look at what we don't have and forget what we do have. Forget the, the, the blessings that have been bestowed upon us. And the, the Bible teaches those that measure themselves against themselves are unwise, a verse that I often use in evangelism, but it is just as applicable to me as a Christian. Because I can focus so much on my lack that I completely overlook the abundance that I have been given in Jesus Christ. So in verse 9, I'm going to look at maybe five blessings, five, six blessings in this passage that I want you to, to hold on to. So if you look at verse 9, the blessing of a church family that prays. 
the blessing of a church family that prays. Paul is praying for these Colossians, these Colossian believers. But the strength of having people backing you up. The knowledge that in Christ you belong to a household of faith. Not built with hands, but built a spiritual house that we as the people of God are living stones. I'm going to ask Jono and Chris, can you just come here please very, very briefly? We are living stones. We have to move side. Okay, come. Chris, could you just come stand here, please, in the middle? Now, what is interesting, come back. Oh, that's right. We're, that's we're one and a half meters, eh? Well, just, just, stand, just stand here. Are we, are we all in the picture, Joyce? All right. In rugby, my usual rugby thing, you have a front row. And you have two props. And you have the number two, which is called a hooker. Now, what's interesting is that usually they are of different height, but what they're, they're supposed to bind, and they form a front row, and that is actually quite solid. They're the foundation for the scrum. Now, what's fascinating about this is that if they're not bound, if they're not together, it doesn't matter their shape. If, like, if, if we're all the same height, that wouldn't work in, in, a, in a scrum. If, if, if Chris was too small, that wouldn't work either. But as... As the three of us form stones, we form a line. We just get form, we'll form a line. We form a line, and that line becomes solid. That line is interconnected. We are told in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are living stones, that we are placed in this position by the master builder, who is Jesus Christ. And when he places us in that building, it is done in such a way where we are connected where we support each other, where we protect each other, where we reinforce each other by our accompaniment. And so the fact that we have the ability, even though that we are distant even now, even though that we have to spend a one and a half meter distance between us, two arm lengths, but my, my, arms, my hands drag on the ground when I walk because I've got gorilla arms. But because we have this, that is where our strength lies, and we are given this in prayer. Did you know that right now you could pray? Thank you very much. Give them a round of applause. Did you know that right now you could pray for your brother or sister that is not in your home? Did you know that in praying for them, you are helping support them because you are part of the living stone, the the living stones that form a building that honors who Jesus Christ is? Uh, My brother, Pastor Fritz Helg, did a sermon called A Builder's Vision, who refers to this passage, and he is a builder by trade, or a carpenter by trade. And he was talking about the importance of how a builder, it's the builder's job to, to, create, to help visualize or manifest the designer's intent. God has a design for his people. God has a design for his church. And that is found within the scriptures. And Jesus Christ is the master builder who puts us together as a body to not only support and impact each other, but as a body impact the world. I would encourage you to look up that sermon, Pastor Fritz Haug on YouTube. It's a very good sermon. Hey, Fritz. He's my brother, by the way. All right, verse 10. So we have the blessing of a church family that prays. Verse 10, the blessing of a clear standard. In a world and a time of uncertainty, we in Christ have been given a definitive purpose, which is the glory of God. We've been given a direction in which to look. 
to look unto Jesus. We have a goal that is set before us, pressing toward the mark. And the standards by which we seek to fulfill those definitive aspects of our lives are clearly laid out for us. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, it says, We are to be holy. As I shared before, Ephesians 4.32, we are to be kind, forgiving, and of, of one our tender-hearted. 1 John says we should live as Jesus lived in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. And here, the standard is for you and I to live in a manner that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing to Him. We've been given a clear standard into how we are to live. And, and that standard, look at the standard. The standard is the person of Jesus Christ. To walk worthy, or is that word worthy, as becoming. Okay, so we're to walk worthy as becoming our relationship with Jesus Christ. A husband seeks to walk worthy of his wife. A wife seeks to walk worthy of her husband. Children seek to, uh, seek to walk worthy of their parents or of their family name. And so we've been given a clear standard as Christians how we are to. I mean, look at that blessing with, with a world where people are often saying, why am I here? Who am I? What's my purpose in life? In Christ, that has been clearly laid out for us. Not only do I know who I am in Christ, I also know where I'm going. Not only do I know where I'm going, I know without a doubt that I'm secure in my destination. That is the blessing of a clear standard. So what was the first one? The blessing of a church family that prays. Thank you very much for saying that. What's the second one? The blessing of a clear standard. Well done. Third one, verse 11. The blessing of divine enablement. It is one thing to be given a task to do or a goal to meet. It is something else entirely when the one who commissions you to that task then gives you the abilities, the resources, the power and support in order to accomplish that task or goal. I am told that I am not only exhorted to walk worthy and to live accordingly, as the Lord says, but I'm also told in verse 11 that I will be strengthened with his power and might in order to complete that task with endurance and patience. That's insane. It's like, it's like being given a test to do and then the teacher gives you the answers with the test and gives you the paper to write down the answers, plus the pen to write down those answers. You are given everything you need. We are told within the scriptures that we have all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He has given us all of that for us to be able to achieve the task that he has granted us. And that's another blessing which I think a lot of us forget. The blessing of his Holy Spirit. The blessing of his word. The blessing of brothers and sisters. The blessing of having a divine standard. The blessing of having a goal that we're going to. The blessing of having a church family that prays. So that's the third one. The blessing of divine enablement. All right, one more time. I'm going to say it after me. Okay, what was the first one? The blessing of... A church family that prays. Well done. The blessing of a clear standard. Yes. Third one, the blessing of divine enablement. Verse 12, the blessing of being qualified. 
On Monday, 9th of March, we had a family service for my dad's farewell. I shared about that a couple of weeks ago at the Presbyterian Church that he attended in Mount Albert. Uh, Reverend Tani, thank you much again for allowing us to use your, serv- uh, use your church hall. It was a blessed time where family gathered, family, aunts, uncles, cousins, siblings. We gathered and we celebrated my dad, and it was a great time. It was, it was fun. It was fun. And some of my friends came too. Now, here's the thing. I told you about my friends a couple of weeks ago. Two of my friends that I grew up with, Damon and Albert, they were there because they're cousins. They were family. But, but uh, Vinny and Ian came along as well, who are not family by blood. And even though they're not family by blood, they were qualified to be there. They came. Why? Because of their connection to me. They came on the merits of me as being part of the family. And because of that of that connection with me, they were also had a connection with my family. None of my siblings, none of my siblings, when they showed up, none of my siblings said, what are you doing here? You're not family. None of my siblings questioned why Ian and Vinny were there because they knew why they were there. They were part of the family. They were qualified to be there. And, and you see that evident by the fact that those guys, even now, are still fearful of my sister because she's scary. They, they, they still have that respect from my brothers as well as the insults. And there's just this, this bond that's formed there over the, the last, oh, I've known these guys since I was eight years old, so 40 years. The last, the relationships that's been built, but that's what had qualified them. In Christ, we are qualified to partake and participate of the household of faith. We are born again into a family by blood, the blood of the Lamb. We've been granted access into a position of acceptance by God because we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. That's what qualifies me. That's what enables me. And that's what secures me. We are now qualified through Jesus Christ to be part of that household of faith. Verse 13 says, We have the blessing of being transplanted. Because I have been qualified means that I've also had a transfer of citizenship. I belong now to the kingdom of God, the kingdom that lasts to eternity, the kingdom of light over darkness, the kingdom of holiness over unholiness, the kingdom of life over death, the kingdom of unity over division, the kingdom of peace over chaos. That kingdom we are now a part of in Jesus Christ. And lastly, in verse 14, there's two things here, the blessing of redemption and forgiveness. This can be one of the most overlooked blessings we have due to the regularity to which we're exposed to it. We read about it continually. We sing of it constantly. We refer to it all the time, but the beauty of it should never be lost to us. Redemption is the word used in the context of a slave market and of being purchased from a slave market and then the owner then setting them free. Essentially, the purchaser is buying their freedom at great cost to themselves. They redeem someone else. Forgiveness is the doing away with, with what, of what that slave's past was. That in the purchase, what they were guilty of 
what they owed, what they did, was of no longer any consequence to the buyer. Essentially, with their purchase, the slave's new existence begins. The scripture teaches that you and I are slaves to sin. The scripture teaches that we are captive to the lusts of our flesh, the lusts of our eyes, and the pride of life. We are in our sins dead. In our trespasses, and, in our trespasses we are condemned. We are by nature the children of God's wrath. But I read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, but God, in his great love, wherewith he loved us, he intervened and at great cost purchased me from the slave market of sin. That through Jesus' death on the cross, he gave up the greatest of payments in order to purchase my freedom. And when that purchase was made, I received forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west, so my sin has been cast away, never to be remembered again. So we have these five. If you're there with me now, you probably don't remember the last two. That's okay. First one is the blessing of... That's right. The second one, the blessing of... A clear standard. The blessing of divine enablement. The blessing of being qualified. The blessing of being transplanted. And lastly, the blessing of redemption and forgiveness. These blessings are the gracious gifts given to you and I in Jesus Christ, worthy of celebration. Gracious because I didn't deserve any of them, nor am I worthy of them. They are granted for the simple reason that my God loves me. To celebrate the privilege we have to demonstrate that love in word and deed, being generous for he is generous, being loving for he is loving, being gracious for he is gracious. Over and over again, we can love practically, for Jesus practically expressed that love to us too. In the difficulty of what we're going through, never lose sight of who we know, of what we have, and that he is at work. Because if he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, then allowing him to take his place in our lives enables us to be the light to those in darkness, to be hope to those without hope, to be people that will direct them as the lost to a saviour where they can be found. So I would encourage you, Yes, celebrate what we've been made in Jesus Christ. Celebrate who we are in Jesus Christ. But most of all, celebrate who Jesus Christ is.